0: The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Here's your host, Rick Saratella. Back at it again. It's another edition of the GM Junior Show with Russ Landy, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. I am your co host, RIC in the place to be, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. Welcome into the Wide Receiver Preview. And before we welcome in our star of the show, Russ Landy, let me just tell everybody, the 2019 NFL Draft Bible is now available for immediate download. That's right. No more pre-orders. It's immediately downloaded to your inbox. We've got a 1,000 players ranks, uh, close to 500 scouting reports, over 100 interviews, rankings for 2020 and beyond so don't be a fool go to school get educated with the 2019 nfl draft bible and you'll be good to go for that nashville draft in uh, just about 30 days or so and to help talk about it and break it all down is russell landy we welcome him into the show russ looking forward i uh, hear you might be in my neck of the woods soon. looking forward to linking up with you how are you today
1: I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to be headed back east for a few days, flying in Sunday and take care of some non-football business for a few days and then hooking up with the big cheese Rick in Jersey. I'm loving it.
0: (laughs) No doubt about it. Uh, Looking forward to that and looking forward to our conversation today, Russ. And uh, for those just tuning in and, and listening to our podcast for the first time, welcome. We've already previewed the quarterbacks and the running backs. You can check our archives on iTunes, and Block Talk Radio, of course, here on NFLDraftScout.com. And Russ, you know, has over two decades of scouting experience working with the Rams, the Browns, the Alouettes up north in the CFL, of course, XFL 1.0. And Russ, you know, you're bringing all that expertise to us. One thing I want to ask you before we break down some wide receivers is it seems like teams have whiffed quite a bit on the quote unquote top wide receivers every year. And uh, you know, the, the recent history, you know, the, the day two day three wide receivers are outperforming a lot of the wide receivers who go into round one. And I have my suspicions as to why, but I'm curious to know why has the wide receiver position become so difficult to evaluate in your opinion?
1: You know, <clears throat> excuse me. there's a, a lot of reasons. I mean, a big part of it comes down to the fact that every NFL team, just like you and I as fans on the outside when, when we're watching games, everybody wants the receiver who can take that short pass and turn it into an 80-yard touchdown, and you want that receiver who can just run away from people and catch a 60-yard bomb because that's a game-changing play. So I think when teams start stacking their board, especially the teams that don't draft consistently well, they start looking, oh, look, he had the 40-time was so good, and we're going to push him up and move him ahead of guys that may not have run as well, they may not have tested as well. And I understand that there are parameters. You're not going to take a receiver who runs in the 4-8s, and you're not going to take a corner who runs in the 5 0s. I get that. But at the same time, the difference between a receiver who runs in the mid 45s, who's a dynamic football player when you watch the film, and a receiver who runs in the 4-4s, four who flashes, dynamic ability but really is not a consistent receiver. To me, you always take the guy who's better on film but a lot of teams and truthfully, a lot of it's even changed now because of analytics, the numbers are playing such a big role. I think sometimes you're seeing guys with great 40 numbers, great verticals getting pushed up above some better football players.
0: Because that's the one thing you can't teach, right? And It looks great at the pro day, it looks good at the combine and Hey, Al Davis, (laughs) say no more. Uh, We all know how he felt about it. So, you know, what are some of the traits then that you look for, Russ, evaluating the wide receiver position? Not to devalue speed. Obviously, it's one of numerous traits we're looking at. But as a whole, scouting the wide receiver position, give us a little taste.
1: Well, first, I I want guys – to me, it's, yeah, it's great. Like I said, everybody wants the guy who can pull away and run away from the defense and turn 20-yard plays into 80-yard plays. But I, want, I need the guy who can get in and out of his cuts, who can make those sharp cuts, who can put a foot in the ground, explode away from the defender. Because if you can do that on those quick little routes, digs, outs, slants, things like that, and get a little separation, that's what the NFL's become. It's a quick-hitting, passing league. So I want the elite. Guys, route running, guys when you look at Antonio Brown, Wes Welker when he was doing his thing, Julian Edelman, guys who can run sharp, precise routes, get in and out of their cuts. And a big part of the the ability of a receiver to run good routes and get open is is he able to disguise his route? There are a lot of guys who flash. They can put a foot in the ground and break away from people, but they don't get away from guys consistently. That's because they give away the route while they're accelerating into their route stem. What you want is a guy who looks literally every single route looks identical until he makes a break. And I think although he's not a speed guy, a perfect guy who does that. If anybody watches the now L.A. Chargers and you watch Keenan Allen, no one's going to mistake him for a 4-4 guy. But if you watch him, every single route looks identical until the break point. So I want a guy who's quick, can get in and out of his cuts, really disguises his route until the break point well and is a natural catcher. Because one of the things that is tough to evaluate, and you really don't realize it until you get in the NFL and you see it compared to college and even compared to the CFL, is when guys are body catchers in college, even if they catch every ball that comes to them or if they catch every ball that gets to them but they fight it when they catch it with their hands, they tend to fight it even though they catch it, Body catchers and guys that fight the ball generally struggle to hold on to the ball in the NFL, and the reason is that split second that they have to adjust to catch it, in college, not a big deal. Guys are not on top of you in an instant, but in the NFL, guys are right there, and if they identify that you're a body catcher or you fight it, they're going to stop trying to reach in front to break up the pass. They're just going to hit you because they know if they hit you, the ball's coming out because you're not going to have it secure. So to me, it really comes down to I need a quick, agile guy, can get in and out of his cuts well, knows how to disguise his route, is a natural hands catcher, and in today's NFL, because there's so many option routes, so many different routes where there are six or seven options based on what the defense is doing, I need someone who's got football smarts. So I'm not really worried about your wonderlick. I want a guy, when I put him on the board, when I run him through drills at pro days, when I run him through drills when I'm out of practice – this guy can pick up all the nuances. If I have a guy who has all those traits, I feel pretty comfortable they're going to be successful in the NFL.
0: Yeah, hey, listen, the ball gets out quicker. It gets there faster. The windows are tighter. And Exactly. Yeah, you make some valid points there. And, you know, as you talk, the one guy that comes to mind in this year's draft class for me is Debo Samuel from South Carolina, who, you know, not the biggest not the fastest but Russ my man was out at the senior bowl just killing guys all day with his route running creating separation and you know that trait is kind of you know getting lost like you said with all the guys that come and jump through the gymnasium you know DK Metcalf runs a 433 at you know 230 pounds but his short shuttle and three-cone are, are really slow. Tom Brady had a faster short shuttle and three-cone. So, I mean, how, what's his short area quickness? What's his change of direction? Yeah, he's going to be awesome in that fly route. And you, and, and you do a, a search on Twitter and, and for DK Metcalf and all these fly patterns come, and he can definitely get behind a cornerback. But is he going to be able to create that separation like a Debo Samuel? And that's why – you know, he's my candidate, the, the day two candidate who's going to outperform a lot of these guys who go round one because we're just so infatuated with a Hakeem Butler, the, the, the size, six foot three, six foot four, the phenomenal speed, the highlight, real plays, the athleticism, the wow factor. But, like to you, what you said, Russ, it, the consistency of a Debo Samuel, every route consistent every route sharp. Uh you could tell the man has dedicated time to honing his craft and you know, Riley Ridley, I think from Georgia is another guy. Uh doesn't have the gaudy stats there at Georgia. But you know what? Um an excellent route runner, just like his brother. So uh Riley Ridley a guy who you know, he may not go in the first round, but he may emerge as one one of the top wide receivers in this year's draft class. So, uh Russ Landy, Rick Servatella here breaking it down, wide receiver edition on the GM Junior show presented by Sports Management Worldwide. And if you like the breakdown and analysis of what we're providing, uh Russ also teaches a football GM and scouting course on SportsManagementWorldwide.com. Tell us a little bit about that quickly, uh, Russ.
1: You know, Rick, it's something I've been doing for over a decade now, and it's basically sort of an intro class to teach people about how do you get a job in football, what are the basic parameters needed to be successful in football. You're not going to get a job in the NFL after taking this course, but what you'll get is you'll get the basics on how to – look at each position and scout correctly you get the basics on how an organization is structured and most importantly is you learn about the little nuances that you can do to separate yourself from all the other people trying to get a foot in the door and start their careers working in football. So it's not going to be a a class where you take it and eight weeks later you say, up, I'm ready, and NFL teams are begging to hire you. But what it's going to do is it's going to give you the tools to start making headway at maybe Arena League or college football or Canadian League football to get a foot in the door as an intern, and then maybe from there eventually work your way up to potentially working in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and, you know, listen, I've had quite a few uh, sports management worldwide graduates from your online course, Ross, and they, you know, they'll come, they'll intern with the Draft Bible, they'll make some connections, they'll go on to work for a team or work in the media, and, um, you know, I see guys on my scouting trails all the time, those Blitz Analytics, I mean, they've launched a a very uh, popular website after graduating the course, so... Uh, There's a lot of different avenues, and there's a lot of different leagues now. You know, how long the Alliance League, that's another question, but XFL coming back, CFL, as Russ can tell you, there's a lot of outlets to utilize the scouting talents and skill set you will acquire with that Sports Management Worldwide online course, uh, football and GM. So go check them out, Sports Management Worldwide. They've been uh, gracious enough to sponsor this show, so we appreciate them for that. And we're going to break down some more of this 2019 draft class wide receiver position, who's at the top, who's some guys uh, that can be had later on. But before we do, we've got Russ Landy. And, you know, listen, I'm not going to let this man leave without picking his brain just a little bit. I want to hear some war stories. Take us behind the scenes. Take us to the war room, Russ. Take us to the draft preparation that, we, that you just mentioned, the GM course, we want to learn what goes on in the war room. So, hey, I'm sure you've been involved with seeing many wide receivers be selected. Uh, what's a valuable scouting lesson that you've learned along the way, whether it was a wide out you took too high or too low? What did you see or what did you not see during that evaluation?
1: You know, one of the biggest lessons I learned, actually, it took place the year before I got to the Browns. And when I got to the Browns, a lot of the people there were talking about it as to what did they do – not what did they do wrong, but how could they make this type of mistake. It was the year that Anquan Bolden was coming out of Florida State, and they had their draft meetings prior to the NFL Combine, which most teams do. You try to get a, a rough sense of your board because you don't want to base it just on the testing numbers. You want to have it sort of set based on – the film watching and the scouting, and then adjust it and tweak it a little bit based on what goes on at the Combine, the interviews, the pro days, all of that. Well, they had Anquan Boldin, the third best player in the entire draft. They had him the number three guy, a guy that they thought they might be looking at because I think they had the fourth or fifth pick or maybe even the third pick that year. Um, their scouts loved him, um, the guys that covered the Southeast and the cross-checkers, the director. Everybody had giant grades on him. Um, number one receiver, I think they may have had him number one offensive player. Uh, then he goes to the combine, and it's, he, everybody knows about it now, but he ran a 4.73, and people got petrified. And my buddy, all my buddies that were at the Browns, said when they came back after the combine and the pro days and they went into the meetings, he had already been moved by the higher-ups, the people even above their college people, but way up top people, had moved him all the way down, and he was all, then he was in the late third round as a player. And it's like, hey, I understand that there are certain things that you have to be concerned about in terms of speed, just like Peter Warwick when he came out of Florida State and he ran in the 47s and never really developed into a star player. But if every single person that's evaluated a player says this guy's an elite talent and he plays at a major university has gone against top competition – there's a huge risk in downgrading a player dramatically just because he runs a bad 40. So that was the first thing I learned when I got there. There were, there were a lot of people that were upset. Um, he had just had a huge rookie year, and they were like, this is a guy we thought about taking. And they said, but because of the combine, we knocked him way down on our board. And it was one of those things where it makes you really realize you got to be very cautious when you adjust players' grades. Dramatically off of the combine and pro days,
0: tweaking or breaking ties—that's
1: one thing. But moving a guy down three rounds because of that, you have to be very cautious of that.
0: You know, great story, and I think everybody in the scouting community has been guilty of that at one point or another, right? It happens to all of us. We hundred percent. Yep. We fall. We fall in love with a guy, and then his forty is just disastrous, right? And we and we you know, naturally want to tend to just bump them down a round or two. But it goes back to the point, Russ, trust your gut. Trust what the film is telling you, right? I mean, because, listen, this guy, yeah.
1: The thing I learned, and and trust me, I'm not trying to cut you off there, Rick, is one of the things that one of my mentors, a guy named Joe Collins, he basically scouted in the league since they invented dirt back 100 years ago. (laughs) He would always say, let's use the combine for what it is. He said, it's sort of a double check. It makes us say, hey, if we have enormous grades on a kid and he runs terrible, or we have poor grades on a kid and he tests out terrible, let's just have a different scout or director that hasn't seen this player, let's have them go grade the player. And if they agree he's still an elite player, even though he ran a bad 40, we're not going to knock him down. Now, maybe he may lose a tiebreaker if we have two receivers that are equivalent, but we're not going to crush him on the board. He said it's really just something to make you go back, reread your report, watch more film to make sure what you saw in film is what you've written in your report and the grade we've given him. He he always said don't change your grade based on what you see, but use it as just a red flag to make you go watch more film.
0: And, you know, I had to pull up. The Anquan Bolden stat page of course since we're talking about him I mean in 14 year career he had, he finished with 13,779 receiving yards so this man literally averaged 1,000 yards a season, yeah, a yards a season a 14 year NFL career 14,000 receiving yards right? 1,377 yards his rookie season Ross it's
1: um and that I think that was why, when I first got there, everybody was so upset. You know what I mean they were they were sort of like, w- we want to figure out what why we did this. We have to do better. We cannot put ourselves in this position again. So it, it, it's unfortunate those mistakes are going to happen because, like you said, when you have a big grade on a kid and he dies on the vine, it just does terrible running. You, you you definitely question yourself and you have to go back and say, you know what? I gotta go figure sure. out what the deal is. And that and that's what makes this business so tough. It's not like the real world where you interview someone and they just have a bad interview and you say, Okay, on to the next guy. In football you gotta figure out why did you have a huge grade on a kid and if you did, what's what's the situation? Is this guy a legitimate player
0: or not? Well, hey, that's that's a major game-changing you know uh, it's a game game changer for the cardinals uh, a, a backbreaker yep. for you guys because i mean hey 101 catches is rookie year i mean that's a that's incredible um which brings me into the next topic russ uh perfect lead way russ landy rick saratella here you there talking wide receivers 2019 nfl draft in nashville there okay so my my thing is, you made a great point, and we talked about it on last week's episode with the running backs, how much stock goes into the combine and the all-star process. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have uh, Marquise Brown from Oklahoma who, hey, number one here on the NFL Draft Bible, big board, Russ, but you know, unable to work out this entire draft process due to the... Foot injury, so you know we're not going to get a verified time. We're not going to get to see him, you know that apples to apples comparison in Indy. We're not going to get the private workout before the draft. So now here's a case where we do have to rely solely on the film and trust what our gut is telling us. How do you factor in this, you know, whole equation of the process when a guy doesn't work out? in the draft season and we just have to rely strictly on the film are you comfortable enough saying hey this is the best wide and I'm not saying he's your best wide receiver but can you can you justify that in the war room and say hey I know he didn't work out during the draft season but his film is just so good we need a wide receiver he's still on the board we got to pull the trigger
1: you know I mean I would have no problem with it I mean It's not Now, when I say no problem, I'm saying with not having testing information on them. If we had a height and weight so we actually knew the size of the kid, which they do. Teams have height, weight, they have his hand, arm, wingspan. That's not the issue. It's not having 40s and short shuttles.
0: Yeah, would you like
1: to have it? Of course you'd like to have it. But in the reality is if you really have your people study the film and do all the work – you have to keep your grade on him as a player, whatever it is. You can't start changing, oh, we didn't get to see him run, and we're not exactly sure. You have to go with what you saw in film. Now, I will say, the thing to add in, and I think we've talked about this before, is when it comes to an injury, and, this, and in this case, this is a, even though it's not an ACL or anything like that, it is a significant injury because it's a Liz Frank injury to the foot, which is one of the injuries that, that has the, one of the highest reoccurrence problems of all injuries. Um, mm-hmm. Teams are very, very nervous about it because it's an injury that ha- a lot of guys, it breaks and breaks and breaks, and it, and it really is one of those things. There are a lot of teams in the league that used to. It's changed a little bit over the last 10 years, but they used to believe that if you had a guy with a Liz Frank, you really had to sit him for an entire season after the surgery to ensure that the bone fully healed before you let him start practicing or doing anything. Um, so the Liz Frank things is a concern, and that's where you have to trust your doctors and your medical people and say, do you feel, based on your review of his injury, that he will be the player we saw on film? But if they give the check, the sign-off, and they say, yep, we're confident this injury is going to be fine, it's not as severe Liz Frank as other ones, we're good, then you have to base your grade on the film, but you also have to know when you draft him, you have to be aware as an organization that the odds are his rookie year is going to be a wash. Because even though the doctor's given the medical sign-off, you know when you get him in the camp, you're going to be cautious with him. You're going to have to, anytime there's a flare-up or soreness, you're going to have to sit him. So you're almost going to want to treat him like he's wrapped in sort of bubble wrap until Everything gets checked off, and he can do everything full speed. So you may not get to use him early on, but you have to base your grade once he gets a medical sign-off on what you saw in film. I'm not a big believer in worrying too much about the numbers, and there are a bunch of people in the NFL that have started to. It hasn't happened yet, which is that meeting that I mentioned before where teams have draft meetings for the combine. Teams are starting to sort of take a picture of that, put it in their computer, here are the grades, then – do the same thing of their final draft board and trying to determine based on using all the analytics, hey, are we better off not pumping all the data in from the combine and from the pro days and screwing up our draft board? Are we better off just going with what we did before the combine? And teams are trying to figure that out because imagine if teams did through the analytics figured out, you know what, Using all these numbers lowers our success rate, screws up our draft board. You could start pulling back and maybe not putting so much emphasis on the combine, on the pro days, and be more successful drafting. So because of that, with a kid like this, with Brown, I love the kid. When I looked at Oklahoma this, this year, this kid jumped off the film. When I did Kyler mm-hmm. Murray, I mean, I like Murray. This kid, to me, was better at his position than Murray was at his. I and mean, this kid was special. Wow. He did a lot of unique things. Even though I know when that game against Alabama, I think it was, where he had the two key drops, hey, guys are going to drop balls. That's part of being a receiver. But he is a really good football player. He impressed me every time I watched Oklahoma when I was grading Kyler Murray.
0: Well, you know, I tend to agree with you, and that's very high praise. Um, I currently see him in the back end of the first round, and I think the points that you make are are valid and interesting because this is a case study right here. And uh, I think this is more of a, uh, a a a contending team, a team that has you know multiple picks like the Raiders or Patriots maybe can red, afford to redshirt a Marquise Brown, but a, a team that's you know looking you know rebuilding and needs help, they might be forced. To, you know they might feel pressure to maybe play him sooner. I don't know, um, but I would think that this is going to be an interesting case study. And I want to just spend just a, another quick minute on Marquise Brown, Russ, or I should say Hollywood Brown. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's so hard now, you know, because you, you hate to make somebody guilty by association, right? But the the wide receiver position, as you know, is a prima donna position. I think. You know, T.O. kind of uh, exploded the, the pre-Madonna prima Donna image of the wide receiver position, and it's kind of trickled down to the modern-day era with, you know, whether it's Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown, who happens to be the cousin of Hollywood Brown. Now, again, it's maybe not a single thing, but you start saying, well, hey, he's got this Liz Frank, hey, he didn't work out. Hey, he's also the cousin of Antonio Brown, which, as we know, Russ, the, all the drama that he created with the Steelers, basically forcing his way out of town. How much now of a factor does that play into? You know, hey, well, this is family. Do do we have to do some extended research on the background? How close is he to Antonio? Is he going to be a problem? If things go awry, is he going to also want out in a couple of years? How much does that factor into the evaluation? Well,
1: I mean, firstly, with any kid, you have to do tons of research on their character just to know where he's going to fit in the NFL. I think with with Marquise, what you really want to find out is, hey, if he were 100% healthy, there's a good chance he'd be a top-ten pick. But because of this injury and his inability to work out, there's a chance, like you said, he could be a late first round pick. It's even possible he goes to the top of the second round. What you need to find out, and and like you said, it's sort of guilt by association. You just need to find out hey, if you get chosen 29th, are you going to demand money as a top 10 player? Or are you going to be willing to take a contract that's equivalent to most guys taking a 29 are? Maybe with some added incentives in there, but we want to make sure ahead of time that this is not going to be something that turns into a problem two years down the road. And, and I think if you just address it with the kid, most likely it's not going to be an issue. and let's also remember for all the issues that what people want to claim with Antonio Brown and the things he said, let's remember if the Steelers had to do it again, if you went to them behind closed doors and said, "Do you wish you hadn't drafted Antonio Brown in the sixth round almost 10 years ago?" I guarantee you everybody in their building would say, are you out of your mind? We want it. We would do it again in a heartbeat. He was
0: the best
1: receiver or second best for a long time. You don't find elite players. So as long as you feel comfortable with Marquise when you meet with him, you talk with him, you also talk to the coaches. What is this kid like? You find out everything you can about the young man, like you would with any college player. You just have to feel comfortable. I think, like I said, the biggest concern is if he gets drafted significantly lower is that going to be an issue going forward, or is he going to understand the situation and based on incentives that you can put in the contract that he's going to be okay and not cause problems? Most likely he's totally fine. Antonio was a great player in this league for a long time, and I think he's going to continue to be one out in Oakland. So I think with Marquise, you have to do a little extra research, but in general it's not something that you've got to worry about. I don't think once you do the research, I think this kid, it's not going to be an
0: issue. All right, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here, Sports Management Worldwide presents the GM Junior Show. Like it, subscribe it, share it, comment on it. We appreciate it. And uh, we're breaking down the wide receivers, our third episode. We're going to break down every position leading up to the 2019 NFL draft in Nashville. Get your guitars out. There's going to be all kinds of action downtown Nashville going on a think they got a marathon they got a rock and roll instrument i don't know all kinds of stuff going on but we're focusing on the nfl draft 2019 edition and wide receivers are you know just so valuable now i think your your third wide receiver and your third cornerback are almost viewed as starters uh because of these uh spread formation 70 percent of the plays in the nfl now Passes. Um, so, with that being said, Russ, let's talk about some of the considerations that come into character flaws because this year, and we saw a couple years ago, Tyree Hill, uh, blazing forty-yard dash. I, you know, I don't think he was invited or allowed to the combine, but his pro day, I think they had him in the, you know, uh, high four-two, low four-three range. Uh, John Dorsey, you know, no stranger to rolling the dice on players with character concerns, uh, takes them in the fifth round. And you can now argue Tyree Hill, the biggest deep threat in all of the uh, NFL. Um, so you can argue that, hey, it worked out pretty well for the Chiefs. Now, this year, uh, we've got a very intriguing player in a Preston Williams out of Colorado State. Began at Tennessee. Uh, Rush, you put on the game film on this kid. I don't know if you watched him at all yet, but, I mean, you can argue his film as, as good as any wide receiver in this year's draft class. Yeah, now, I, mean, I
1: haven't rated full games, but the clips I've seen, I mean, he, yeah, he's, he can do things that very few receivers that come out of college can do.
0: Now, and, and that has to be appealing. But now you have to factor in – the off the field stuff and he did work out at his pro day uh last week, I think or two weeks ago and you know, again, because of the character concerns, he was not allowed to work out at the combine. I think he did get a chance to meet with teams, but his pro day was subpar. I think it was like a thirty inch vert, uh, maybe, you know, forty, you know, four or five mid four or five range. But the concerning stuff here is the off the field stuff and Obviously, we don't know the full details of it. From what's been reported, uh, there was, you know, a couple of incidents with his quote-unquote ex-girlfriend. I think there was a w- one incident where there was, like, over 400 text messages sent to this girl in a 24-hour period. Um, so, listen, hey. That sounds like again, you, dealing with texting all those <laughs> NFL people. Hey, man. I go back to the days of getting the number on the napkin, Ross. Hey. Um, I hear you. <laughs> but, you know, listen, I mean, these are 20-year-old kids we're dealing with. And thank God we didn't have social media when we were 20, Russ. But mistakes happen. And how much how much of a problem is this for you? Because I've spoken to teams now that have him entirely off their board. And I've spoken to you other know, scouts it, that say, hey, he would be a first-round pick if not for the character flaws.
1: See, and, and that's where – I mean, that's what makes this business so difficult is you really have to, as an organization, excuse me, be so thorough and detailed, and you've got to get every bit of information. And this is where an area scout really proves his worth, because there are a lot of scouts in the league that will go to a school. You, you have your person, your pro liaison, who's sort of the guy who's your um, – guy who shows up when you show up he, he greets you he sets you up and he gives you information on players and a lot of scouts just take what he says talk to the strength coach and they're on their merry way and those teams usually do not get a great feel for the character those teams that really do their diligent work and they they go the extra mile they talk to not only one or two people they talk to seven or eight people at the school they go talk to the academic advisors, the equipment guys, the video guys. You try to talk to as many people at the school as possible and as many people that cannot help this player. And what I mean that, by that is a coach can help a player by getting him on the field and getting him playing time. The equipment guy, doesn't matter what he does, that player is going to play or not. The academic advisor, really doesn't affect this kid's long-term football prognosis. So how does he treat them? How does he act towards them? You need to find out that information. You need to talk to the trainers and find out what he's like as a worker. Does he do what he's told to do, or is he a guy who blows off everything they tell him? You have to go above and beyond, talk to police, do background checks. All of those things you have to be thorough and detailed with. But the one thing I really go back to remembering from our, our, the GM at the Rams, when I was there, there was a player who had gotten a DUI when he was in college. And this was back in 1997, I want to say. So back then, DUIs were a huge thing, and, and, and there was a big outcry about it. And a lot of people in the NFL thought that meant you take a guy off your board. So this scout said, hey, we have to take this guy off our board. He got a DUI midway through his senior year in college. And our GM, and we didn't get along all the time, and he's the one who fired me, but I learned more from him than anybody else in all my years of football. And he made a great point. Rick, you can relate to this. I know I can. Is he said to everybody in the room, all the scouts, all the gophers, he said, how many of you went to college? And every single person in their hand raised their hand. He goes, how many of you had alcohol while you were in college? And, of course, every single person huh. in the room raised their hand. So he said, I would bet every single one of you drove once, if not more than once, when you were drunk. And he said, Mm -hmm. you didn't get stopped. It's not on your record. He said, so should we ruin a person's life and not give them the chance to pursue their dream because of a mistake made when they were 18, 19, or 20? He said, everyone in this room was young and dumb at one point. Mm -hmm. He said, it's our job to find out, were they young and dumb, or are they a bad person? And that's what scouts and teams, and you spend enormous amounts of time trying to talk to as many people as you can, interview as many people as you can, bring in the outside psychiatrists to talk to people. And in this kid's case, you're talking to Colorado State people, you're talking to Tennessee people, you're talking to people who were at Tennessee, who are since scattered around the country. You're trying to find out everything and anything you can about a kid in order to know what's out there and I'll give you a perfect example it doesn't relate to character but it just tells you about how you have to talk to everybody and anybody there was a player who came out in the draft in the last 5 years was regarded as a potential first round pick maybe not definitely, definitely not an assured first round pick but a maybe and one of the teams did a lot of research and they got conflicting stories about his intelligence they couldn't figure it out so they said you know what what players on our roster were at the school with this player So they called the one guy who had been at school with him and actually played the same position as him. And they asked him, they said, what do you know about him? He said, well, guys, he said, you know me. I have a learning problem. He said, it's an issue for me to learn football. He said, every day I have to work so hard just to be average in our meetings. He said, I really struggle with it. And he goes, compared to him, he said, I'm Albert Einstein. He said, this kid's not going to be able to learn in the NFL. He said, I promise you, I sat in three years of meetings. He said, he's a borderline idiot. Well, they listened to it. They got petrified. They moved off him. This kid went in, I believe, the early second round, and he's pretty much most teams view him as a guy who's not going to make it now. So it's not so much the character in that point, but the point is you have to use every resource possible to find out every piece of information about the young man so that not only can you protect the team, but that you can also give kids an opportunity that may have screwed up one time in their life and turn out to have an amazing career for 15 years because they're good kids who just made a stupid decision. So I think the biggest thing to take away from this is you can't ever set something in stone and say, he made this one mistake or committed this one act, he's forever done in football. No. You need to find out about the kid and what the kid actually is like, what is his true character like.
0: Very interesting stuff from uh, Russ Landy here. On the GM Junior Show, 20-plus years of scouting experience along with Rick Saratella here, our 18th year covering the draft. Again, we just launched the 2019 NFL Draft Bible. Go get it. Read up on it. It'll keep you busy for the next 30 days. Uh, NFLDraftScout.com. Right up there in the menu bar, of course, you can download the 2019 NFL Draft Bible for immediate download. Ross. Uh, Russ, I should say, uh, time to put a ribbon on the show and uh, final thoughts on this wide receiver class. I know I wanted to talk to some of the wide, uh, talk to you about some of the wide receivers being o- overvalued um, with their speed. I think we touched base on that earlier in the show, but just an overall uh, feel on the wide receiver class. Any buzz that you're hearing? Any players that stand out to you? Just a general thought overview on the wide receiver class 2019.
1: You know, I think it's an underrated class. I think there's a lot of really good receivers that aren't getting a ton of pub. I think that kid at Ohio State, McLaren, this kid's going to be an impact guy in the NFL. Wow, what a great player.
0: Not to to cut you off there, Russ, but this guy McLaurin from Ohio State, who we actually like, like more than Paris Campbell. Again, the speed... You see the speed. People talk about Paris Campbell being a potential first-round pick. This guy McLaurin is going to play at least 10 years in the league. He's out at the Senior Bowl. He's burning the, the corners, right? He's taking them to school. He's taking them to the woodshed. And then after the play, he's he's turning around explaining to them why he beat them. Here's yeah, why he was, I beat you, bro. He was so <laughs> it, impressive. He, and, and Urban, Meyer, Urban Meyer actually called him one of the hardest working, if not the hardest working player that he's ever coached. I mean, you've got to put some kind of emphasis and stock into that quote.
1: Oh, there's no question. I mean, firstly, anybody to comes out of Ohio State that is that productive and that the coaches speak so highly about in terms of work ethic, that tells you a lot. His senior bowl – I think he took everything he, sh- he had at Ohio State, and he said, let me show you the best trades. He was explosive. His routes were great. He made it look natural catching the ball. I mean, to me, he's a slant. He's an easy guy to scout. The kid from UMass, mm-hmm. very good player. And I'll tell you a kid that jumped out at me when I was doing film of uh, Will Greer. Um, they have two receivers, number 12. I can't remember his name. He was an okay receiver. They have a big number 13, big, tall receiver.
0: David Sills. Long, lanky yeah. kid,
1: David Sills. I mean, you talk about impressive. This kid, for a tall kid who's about 6'3", 6'4", he is uncommon because he runs sharp, precise routes. Most taller guys, they round off those cuts. They don't explode out of their cuts. Now, his explosion is limited because he's not a dynamic athlete, but he's quick out of his cuts gets his head and his hands around quickly, catches the ball with his hands, and he makes difficult catches seem routine because of his body positioning, his concentration, and his ability to use his long arms to reach out and catch the ball. I think he's going to be starting very early in his career. I could see him being an eight- to ten-year starting receiver. I really like the Sills kid.
0: Interesting. Okay, well, yeah, because uh, they also have the um, more of a slot guy, Gary Jennings, who was at the yep. senior ball as well. Yeah. So uh some people like Sills, some people like Jennings. We actually different wide outs now, different types of receivers, but we have them neck and neck on our big board. Basically, you know, what's your flavor? You looking for yeah. a, a, a big red zone target or you're looking for a slot guy, but they're both uh very formidable wide receivers and of course Sills, uh what a career path he has taken from, you know, being offered the the uh QB scholarship by Lane Kiffin when he was in the eighth grade to bouncing around (laughs) a couple of different colleges to now becoming a premier wide receiver and actually represented by uh, Lee Steinberg, who we had a chance to catch up with at the Maxwell club awards. And, um, you know, anytime you have Lee in your corner, Hey, you have got some good representation. So David may maybe, you know, being a uh, high selection for the upcoming 2019.
1: I think he's going to go in that second round. I think someone's going to yeah. reach out and take him earlier than expected.
0: I could see it. Like you said, he he was making some plays. I think he could be a uh, excellent red zone weapon as well. So, uh, hey, if you want to get more uh, on the wide receiver class or the entire uh, 2019 NFL Draft class, again, we have it all available at the NFL Draft Bible uh, publication. PDF download available now at the NFLDraftScout.com. Of course, You know, we've been listening to Russ uh, preach the good gospel here on the uh, uh, GM Junior Show and his experience all the years of, you know, preparing for the draft and being in the war rooms and making uh, having influence on making decisions and and understanding the thought process behind uh, what pro executives think, how they operate, what they look for. So um, I'm here sitting and learning with you, the listener, every week it's, it's educational for me as well. So I always enjoy my time with you, Russ, and uh, we'll come back next week. We'll break down. We'll, I think we'll clump together maybe the tight ends and the offensive line next week so that way we can get through all the defensive guys uh, for the month of April. Again, uh, the draft right around the quarter. We're, we're now 30 days away. I mean, hey, it, it, it's a great time of year, isn't it, Russ? Now we got the spring ball coming down the wire, you you know, the 2020 process always uh, begins. I mean, real quick before we wrap it up, I mean, how soon do you start looking ahead to 2020? It seems like, you know, I can't even take, never mind a week, I can't even take a day to relax before i got to start looking ahead to next year.
1: You know, it's really tough. It's like you want to take a break and say, you know what, I'm going to start in August or September. But the reality is, I mean, I'll probably say in May, I'll do a lot of admin stuff to get my preliminary lists of all the seniors in the country in a spreadsheet. But other than that, it June 1st, I'm, I'm starting on next year. I want to have, hopefully, two or 300 guys graded before the season even starts so I at least have a feel for them as juniors. So I don't have to watch eight games of them as seniors. I can watch one or two or three, and as long as it correlates to what I saw as a junior, I feel comfortable. So it starts literally as soon as this one ends. you got to be started on the next one.
0: Yeah, it's a never-ending process, and uh, that's that's why you've really got to have the sickness to work in yes. this business, right?
1: Yep. As, as Bill Parcells has said many times, working in professional football is for maladjusted adults, and it's very true because there aren't many normal people in this business.
0: I can vouch for that one. No and doubt. With that, we're going to get out of here on that one uh, for Russ Landy. Rick Saratella, of course, our sponsors at the sportsmanagementworldwide.com, the football GM and scouting course, our good friends over at nfldraftscout.com, everyone who helps make this show possible, uh, my favorite show each and every week. Of course, we'll be back here next week to break down tight ends and O line. If you missed out on our quarterback or or running back previews, that's available on the archives. We thank Russ Landy. We thank you for listening. Till the next time, everybody. Keep it light. The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com.